Hey y'all, it's me again, Bonnie Violet. I just wanted to take a second and thank my Patreon members. Patreon members are folks who contribute on a monthly basis, anywhere from $3 to $150 a month to support the work of a queer chaplain. Big shout out to Victoria Thompson, Jason Brandt, Brandon Stanton, Kim Silva, Brandy McCarg, Randy Sandnot, Bob Kaiser, Joey Heckmeister, Violet Rhiannon, Gabriel, Jonathan, Patrick and Todd Atkins Whitley. Thank you so much for your continued contributions. And if you're interested in joining the Patreon, just check the link in the description. Go to patreon.com forward slash Bonnie Violet. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Good morning, it's that time to walk and talk. Can't wait till I get a haircut. It's getting so long. So today, I thought I would continue the talk. I was actually like going around in my head about a number of things, figuring out what to talk about today. Um, so I decided that I would talk about, I would talk about um, the police and I figured kind of just to stay in the same t- time frame or s- same kind of style is I'll go ahead and talk about what my experience has been with the police from like childhood up and kind of my perspective. Um, the first time that I can really recall a memorable experience with a police officer or the police was um, I was under the age of 12, maybe around like nine or 10. I don't really recall I'm really bad with like exact years and that sort of thing but um we were living out in the country at that time there was a moment when we left the town and we moved out into the country um we had pigs and uh things like that and um i remember one day me and my brother we had come home from school and we were um out in kind of like one of the one of the sheds um i think i feel like we either had rabbits there that we were feeding or something we were doing some sort of um drawers and um uh i remember we saw the police pull up to our house i don't recall if there was one or two cars or or what but they pulled up to our house and i remember being scared shitless like being like oh my god what did i do did i do something wrong at school i'm in trouble they're coming to get me (laughs) it's all crazy but this is kind of the kid i was i was always so scared of everything and always thought i was gonna, gonna get in trouble for something but anyway, um, the police ended up coming and they were actually looking for my dad. And um, it was harvest season and um, harvest season, um, you know, my dad would work, you know, he wouldn't get home until really late at night, like 11 or 12. And so me and my family, um, me and my brother, my aunt and my mom were placed under house arrest for like the next I guess that would have been about six, seven hours. And um, uh, like I said, I was really young, but I was also really scared. I wouldn't say that the police were like rude or anything. It was weird to not be able to, you know, use the bathroom by yourself and that sort of thing. So I feel like that's all to say. Um, Basically, um, it was like my dad had bought some some stuff from a, like some a TV and things like that from a friend and I guess it was 
they thought it was stolen or something. And so that's why they ended up coming to my house and ending up searching our house and talking with our father and all that. So that was just kind of like my first experience with the police. Um, and then let's see. Um, so like I said, I was fairly fearful, fearful of the police. Um, but also not so. Um, when I was a, in high school, I got my own truck and I drove to work, which was in Hagerman, which was about 10 miles from where I lived. And um, you want it was about 10 miles from where I lived. And so I was always driving home late at night around 10, 11 o'clock. So I was always getting pulled over by the police for something. Whether it was a headlight or I don't know, half the time, I don't know why they pulled me over. But they always pulled me over. I was probably pulled over, no joke, probably a couple dozen times in my high school career, let's say. I never once got a ticket. It was never really a bad situation. It just was, I would still get freaked out and scared every time and um, that sort of thing. But, but yeah, so then that was my experience with the police. And then I would say I didn't have really much other experience say for the most part, I would just <laughs> stay away. Thanks, Tina. I like this one too, but struggling with breathing this morning. I need to, I need to work out a little bit more. <laughs> Hi, Liz. Um, so I didn't really have any other experience with police until um, I was about three years sober. So I would have been about 32 years old. I was living in Idaho and um, I, um, I had gotten a ticket for driving without insurance. And um, it wasn't the first time I'd gotten a ticket, um, but I'd gotten a ticket for driving without insurance. And so I went to court, I borrowed a friend's car, um, went to a parking meter, parked her car, and then went to court. I didn't really tell anyone I was going to court because I was kind of embarrassed and I didn't really think it was that a big deal. I thought I would lose my license, pay a bunch of money. So I kind of just got used to not driving and save some money. Well, that morning I went to court and the judge threw everybody who came to court that day in jail. And I was immediately like grabbed and taken into jail. Um, and I remember like freaking out because I'd never been through this experience before. And um, I was like, but I, I wasn't planning on doing this. Like, I need my medication. Can I call somebody? Can I use it? And they were just like, it was really intense because they like wouldn't let me do anything. They kept saying no. It was a very um, dehumanizing experience. And I realized that my experience is fairly like minor, but I'd, I'd never been through anything like that. And it felt like I wasn't even a human being. And in a lot of ways, I was still kind of treated pretty okay, I guess, um, in comparison to what, how I've seen other people treated. Um, and so then I ended up going to jail and I was in jail for three days. They had sentenced me to 30 days, but I had enough money. So I was able to just serve three days. Um, and uh, yeah, it was scary. I mean, I'm... <laughs> I'm a little queer boy and um, in Idaho and I get thrown into a holding cell with 10 other guys that I didn't know 
Um, I remember just like um, getting up in the top bunk that was available and just trying to go to sleep right away. Um, some of the guys had been in there in the holding cell. They're not supposed to be in there very long, but they had been in there for, for you know, like seven to 10 days. And um, so I was like, oh, I'm probably gonna end up spending all my, all my time here because I was only gonna be serving three days. Um, I tried to take a nap, tried to ignore the guys because I was really scared being queer in jail. And um, luckily for me, they called me within a couple hours of being in the holding cell and they moved me into the, the workers unit, which was more of a dorm style uh, space. And um, I stayed there for the rest of my stay. Um, I had a bunk next to a preacher and a personal trainer. Um, and they both thought it was ridiculous that I was in jail for driving without insurance, but um, that's why I was there. And I remember having a lot of gratitude because, you know, I, I mean, I was a person in recovery, so I had an experience of using drugs, illegal drugs. Well, all drugs are illegal, I guess, especially at that time. So um, there are plenty of other times that I could have been arrested and I could have put in jail for a lot, for other things. So I felt really grateful that that was the the time, I guess, if I was going to go to jail, that, that that was the right time and circumstance. But it was still such a dehumanizing, scary experience. Um, one positive was I quit smoking <laughs> while I was there um, because um, because I was too scared to ask how, how to make that work. <laughs> like, how do I smoke? Um, so that was like, one good thing. Um, I guess the, re the only reason why I say that is just because that's like my point of view or my perspective and experience with the police um, directly. Um, and, you know, I know, and I know in a lot of ways, my experience was just like, like, you know, privilege. I had a lot of, it was definitely a lot easier for me than I think um, it is for other folks in particular people of color. Um, and, um, what was I gonna say with that? Um, so it was a very, what was I gonna say with that? Um, so that's really my limited experience with the police. When I started working in Chicago though, um, about four years ago, it was in interesting in my, um, like the, you know, like the little reminders or like four years ago or something like that, that came up uh, on my feed today. And four years ago, um, I had taken a moment where, um, so, Police brutality again at that point in time was like a big thing, and it was really, um, it was really in the news. It was all over the place, and again, I was uh, I worked with mostly I was like one of the only white folks within my team, and um, I felt really um, like I just felt really I felt like I just felt really um, I guess sad or, or bad about. Um, about seeing all the police brutality and realizing that that's gotta be a really hard thing for um, my friends and the people that I work with that were black. And so I like was going to work one morning and decided to buy like a bunch of flowers, went to work, and then I wrote little You Matters and gave everyone a flower in the office. Um, which I don't say that to, um, again, for any particular reason, but that's just kind of what happened because I didn't know what to do. And like, we were trying to like figure out how do we talk about this at work? Do we talk about this at work? Um, 
And I remember realizing that um, for a lot of the folks, they weren't as traumatized or scared about like, you know, it wasn't, wasn't brand new to them. Police brutality, violence against them for their skin color, all that was not, was not brand new. It wasn't anything that they hadn't thought about, hadn't been thinking about before. But it was one of the first times I ever realized um, that difference, um, in particular around police brutality. And, uh, and um, then realizing that like some of the folks, like I said, they just were like, they're like, this is just the way it is. So it wasn't, it was just like a regular Monday or Tuesday. And that's my point, of, that's my perspective. I'm sure that um, folks were, you know, affected by it, of course, but not at the degree that, that I was, or even I thought they would be. Um, and I was definitely, again, that just kind of showed me a little bit more of like, I guess some more blind spots, some more places that I hadn't seen. Um, I just hadn't seen. Um, uh, yeah, so the only thing that kind of came from that too, is I, I know like people have this issue around or like violence, I think, comes up with police and police violence. And, um, you know, that I obviously I think there needs to be better ways to be dealing with any sort of thing. But I also think that um, what people don't understand is kind of like the, um, like when working in HIV and AIDS and stuff, we talked about social determinants of health. Um, and so that was basically all these sorts of things that, kind of made people less likely to, um, or actually even high, most li more likely to get HIV beyond just who they fuck and um, what actual behaviors could lead to HIV infection. So that's a lack, lack, to, lack of access to medical care, lack of access to employment, um, like secure employment, um, lack of access to supportive family, you know, so many other things. Um, and uh, so, I'm not speaking to that really clearly, but basically um, there's a lot of data that says that, you know, black and brown folks um, and trans folks and whatnot have these social determinants of health that make them at higher risk for, for, um, for di different ailments and different experiences, um, which to me is like the same thing that kind of creates... Um, I don't know, I guess creates the need for, I know what I wanted to talk about was, was crime. Like, I feel like the things that we do criminalize, um, in a lot of ways, like I'm, I'm a proponent, like I'm for, um, like making all drugs legal. I know that might be a little controversial, but I'm for legalizing all drugs. Um, I don't think criminalizing them is helpful. Well, and there's a whole history of like, criminalizing drugs really was about, you know, was an attack on the black community. We, um, you know, we set up crimes and more extensive crimes for crack, um, which was predominantly used by the black community. And so that's why they were, um, you know, I guess that's why that, um, they targeted that again, it was a racial, it was racially charged, um, it was racially charged and it was, oh, it was so interesting. You know, walking by people 
who are hearing what I'm saying out of context, I'm just like, you know, it's still like a nervous thing to talk about for some reason. So I'm just being really candid. Um, hi everyone, whoever's still there. Um, so crime, I don't know. I'm losing my, uh, <laughs> I'm losing my momentum, my uh, <laughs> ability to speak about things too much further. For, I don't know why. Um, uh, hi, Eric. How's it going? Um, but basically, I'm losing my train of thought. If anybody's still there, do you want to <laughs> prompt me in some way? Uh, ask me a question. Say hello. Um, I think... What do I want to say? There's a lot about this that I don't know and I don't understand and I think that's what I'm trying to to share. Um, like, I just think we criminalize way too much and we do treat people differently. Um, when, Especially when it comes to law enforcement in particular. I do believe that black and brown people are targeted more so are targeted um, and treated differently by police um, and just by society as a whole. And this is um, this important uh, for us to recognize. Um, I think, hi Tony, what makes me joyful today? <laughs> I guess one of the things that um, to kind of think about because we are kind of wrapping it up is um, I just hope that people are, like, I just hope, like, I want to continue to kind of think on and, and I don't know, just be open to hearing and understanding something different, uh, just a different experience. Um, in seeing this thing come up in my um, feed again today, um, I went ahead and I reposted it, and I put, I think I put still relevant. I was trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to acknowledge this again. And um, I feel like um, maybe there is some progress, you know, in some ways, if you just look at it, it looks like kind of the same problem, the same situation as was going on four years ago. Um, but maybe things are different now. Maybe things are, maybe there is some progress. Um, from my little corner, it appears that there might be. Um, I hope for it. Um, and I hope that it continues to shift. I do believe that a shift is happening and that, um, that I believe that the, the world is gonna be turning into a better place for, for all people to live in. Um, but I do think that it's gonna be a very painful experience for, for many folks. And uh, it's a necessary pain that we need to go through in order to uh, to grow and to move forward. I mean, that's I know that's how I work as a human being. Um, I tend to hurt really bad about something. I don't want to hurt anymore, so I change it. Um, and I think that we're feeling a lot of hurt right now in the world. Um, 
with COVID and with um, everything that's bring, being brought up with Black Lives Matters and unemployment and rents and there's just so many things going on right now that the, we're in a lot of pain as a people. And in some ways, um, I just know that pain is a touch touchstone for, for change. And so I have a little bit of excitement that maybe things will actually change and that this pain is a touchstone. Um, I'm, you know, a recovered drug addict and alcoholic, and I get to work with a lot of people who are in recovery. And in the first little while of recovery, um, folks can experience a lot of pain. And um, there's, when I get to witness that people are sitting through this pain, I know that that's, um, that's a good sign. That, that they're actually really going through what they need to go through in order to move on. So I guess that's what I'm encouraging, that if this is a painful process for you, if you're, if you're scared, if it makes you uncomfortable, that uh, to know that that's, that's necessary. Like, that's what it takes to grow. That's what it takes to be better. Um, and um, I feel like that's, I know that's all I strive to do and um, fall short often, but I try. And um, I believe that a lot of us do. And I think that a lot of things happen to us that can get in the way of our ability to show up in the way that we want. I know that's true for me. Um, and all I can do is try to continue to remove the, the blocks and the walls um, that keep me from from showing up in the world in a way that um, I know that God would have me be. I know God is such a bad word, but it's not. <laughs> um, I'm almost to work. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but um, thank you for uh, walking with me while I talk this morning. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hey y'all, Bonnie Violet here again. Just wanted to take a second to let you know about Splintered Grace Podcast. Splintered Grace Podcast just completed its fifth season entitled Still Seeking. Splintered Grace is a podcast that I co-host with my aunt who is a conservative Christian and one of my biggest supporters in my trans identity and just life in general. While many family members are choosing to no longer speak, we have chosen to sit at the table and engage in difficult conversations to find peace and restoration. Over our 24-year relationship, we have had a lot of ups and downs, and we haven't always really liked each other. We definitely never understood each other, and still some of it we don't. But we love one another so much and so hard and really work hard to show up for one another. And our hope is that by listening to this podcast, others may be able to begin to have peace and restoration in some of their other relationships with family members and or other loved ones. Uh, Check it out, Splintered Grace Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Take care. Love you. Bye.